have a story you're bursting to tell the world. Are you sick of being rejected by the publishing establishment? Do you want to inject a little punk rock DIY ethos into your indie author career? Join me, best-selling indie author Steph Green, for Rage Against the Manuscript, where we explore how to tell your story, find your readers, and build a badass author brand. For more info, check out our website at www.rageagainstthemanuscript.com. Hey writers, it's Steph here again, and welcome back to another edition of the Rage Against the Manuscript podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about whose advice you should be taking when it comes to writing and publishing. So, you may be wondering, where has this to- the idea for this topic come from? Because, you know, if I'm here talking about, you know, who should you be listening to? I mean, obviously, the answer should be me. Right. Well, not quite. So I have been hanging around in writing and publishing, you know, online forums and Facebook groups, and I find them such a valuable place to hang out and to to meet other writers and to kind of see what people are saying and to, to get different ideas, and it's absolutely wonderful. But I have been seeing quite a lot lately that, you know, a person will come along and they'll ask a question, usually it's kind of specific question about publishing, and they'll get lots of different answers. And it can be quite hard when you're looking at, you know, 50 different responses that, you know, all say different things, or they're really hard line down the middle of a decision, you know, 50% of people are on this side, 50% of people are on that side. And you are trying to make decisions based off of this advice, and, and these are decisions about your career. And so I think it's really important to sort of take a step back and think about where that advice is coming from and what's behind it and how to tell what's good advice and what's not good advice. Because, of course, if you're making decisions about your career based on things that random people on the internet have told you, then I feel as though you kind of need a more robust sort of decision-making process around that. So that's just what we're going to talk about today. Now I'm going to give you an example just so you sort of understand the kind of advice that we're talking about. You are a mystery author. You want to be a cozy mystery author. We know that people expect a certain experience from cozy mysteries. Now you've got this idea for this, this series, and maybe you've got one book out already, let's say. And so you're working on book two, and you think you've figured out how the mystery's going to go. But what you want to do is a completely open-ended mystery. So at the end of the book, the, the reader does not know who the murderer is. And you are super excited about this idea. But you're a little bit concerned that it's you know that's not going to fly, and so you go on to your favourite author forum and you tell them about the plot and, and you say, well, so I'm just wondering, you know, is this a good idea? I'm just worried that readers are too picky about this, um, that they're going to not finish the book, that they're going to leave bad reviews if I do this, and I just you know I, I just want to know you know what do you guys think? Now, what is the problem? with this question and with the answers that you're going to get. So I will tell you first of all, the the, the answers you're going to get are going to be a mix of people saying, you just do whatever the hell you want, you know, it's not, you don't let readers dictate to you what you can and can't do, you know, you want to do this, this thing, then you're going to do it. And then people will give a whole bunch of examples of books where there is an open-ended mystery and that book was a super bestseller. 
And then there are people who are going to say, well, you know, if you want to have a career as an author, then you've got to be really careful that you conform to the reader expectations. And then people are going to give examples from their own catalogues. You know, I totally killed off this character and it was totally fine. I had an open-ended mystery and it was totally fine. I had an open-ended mystery and it was the worst decision I ever made. Don't do it. So you're going to get all this conflicting advice and it's going to be up to you to sort through it all and figure out, you know, where you're going to go. So what is the problem? First of all, what is the problem with this question? So the first problem is that when you, you're asking the question is that you haven't defined for yourself what your own personal metrics of success and what your own personal goals are. And this is really important because the advice that you choose to take should be the advice that gets you closer to that metric of success. Now, that may just be for you that what you really want is to just, you know, tell the stories the way that they are in your head and, you know, that's all you want. And it doesn't matter to you how many readers you have or how high up in the rankings your book goes. And that is a perfectly fine and a perfectly reasonable way to be. And in that case, you may end up being one of those people who agree, actually, yeah, I totally want to do this. I totally want to write this open-ended mystery where we don't find out who the murderer is. I think that's just going to be heaps of fun. Or you may be a writer who wants to grow their readership or wants to grow their career, wants to become a full-time author. In which case, it's very important that you pay attention to the concerns of the people who are on the same track as you, so who are on this path to being full-time, to being successful, or who are already there. And the reason for that is, is that I, I firmly believe you cannot be a successful, a full-time author while taking the readers out of the equation. This is all about finding a balance between the stories that you want to write and the stories that readers want to read. And we've talked about this so many times before about not breaking the promise that you make to your readers. And you know, in Cozy Mysteries, one of the key promises that you have is that at the end of the book, you, f you find out after solving a puzzle, you find out who the murderer is. And that's the satisfying thing that the readers want. And so when you mess with that, you, you know, it's, it's not great. Now the thing is, is that all those people will have pointed out certain books that have done this and been really successful. However, if you look at that list, what you'll usually discover is that most of those books are not actually in your genre, or they're super outliers. There's super, super exceptions to the rule. Now, I personally choose to believe that I am never going to be the exception. So I try not to focus on, you know, super outlier bestsellers, especially if they're not in my genre. Now, the other thing is that when you're looking at um, the things that people say, you know, I did this and it worked really well for me, or I did this and it doubled my sales, or I did this and it halved my sales, is that you've got to consider, are their, their metrics the same as your metrics? So by this I mean, you know, when a person talks about, oh, I did this thing and it doubled my sales. Did it double their sales from two books sold a month to four books sold a month? Or did it double their sales from 400 books to 800 books? And those are very, very different metrics. Now, you can't sort of really go around asking people for these specific numbers because uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit impolite. But this is why I am very specific about trying to share my exact numbers. This is why I share, you know, this is how much I spent and this is how much I made. 
It's not because I want to show off how much I make or anything like that. It's because I want you to have the the numbers so you can make decisions about whether you want to listen to my advice or not. As I said, not everyone will give these kind of numbers, but you can go to their Amazon page or have a look at their websites and, and have a look at how their books are ranked and how many reviews they have and how their covers fit with the genre or even if they're in your genre at all, because often people like to give advice outside of their genre. And you can find out, is this a person that I actually want to listen to, that I actually think their advice is worthwhile? So I do believe that if you want to listen to anyone's advice, I would look for the advice of authors who have the career that you want to have. Give their advice the most weight. But do remember that sometimes, you know, even these authors, they may have built their career a decade or more ago when the landscape of self-publishing was very, very different. And so sometimes advice from them is a little bit outdated and, and you know, not that useful. But mostly, should be looking for is, you know, looking for the people who have the career that you want to have. And that may be, you know, not much of a career at all, because it may be that they are the people that are just writing the crazy books of their heart, and they're not caring at all about what readers think, and that is perfectly okay. And there is a whole spectrum in between that and the super, super right-to-market, all-about-the-readers kind of author. And we all sit somewhere on that, on that spectrum, and that is exactly as it should be. What you're ultimately looking for is you're looking for a career where you are writing the types of books that you love to write, but also that readers love to read them. And I feel fairly certain that the vast majority of readers who read cosy mysteries are not going to enjoy a cosy mystery where at the end of the book they don't find out who the murderer is. And that brings us to another point, and this point is about listening to readers. Now this is really interesting and it happens a lot in my genre because we have these huge groups of very active readers on Facebook and the readers will be in those groups and they'll be talking about the things that they love about books and the things that they hate about books and they'll be asking questions, can you recommend me a book like this and they'll be saying, oh I really wish authors would write more books like this. Now a lot of authors, especially newer authors, are in these groups all the time and they see all these requests and they see all these kind of criticisms for readers and all that information builds up in their, their heads. And then when you combine that with you know reading your positive reviews and reading that with, with your negative reviews and you start to think, oh, well, you know, really what readers want is, you know, more raccoon shifter books and, you know, they don't really want romances that have wolf shifters anymore because, you know, that's been done. They want different animals. So you'll do a whole bunch of different animal shifters and then those books won't sell. And you'll be like, well, I gave readers what they want. And, you know, then they don't buy it. And you start to feel resentful and then you look at the groups again and the groups say, oh, we really want, you know, we really want this thing. And then you'll do that thing and then they won't buy it. And then you'll feel even more resentful and the, the vicious, horrible cycle continues. And this is why it's really, really important to take anything that readers say with a grain of salt. Because very often readers say things, but their actual actions, the actual things that they do, are completely different from what they say. And 
this is true of the two examples that I've sort of just done here. So the first one being, you know, the, the wolf shifters. So in paranormal romance, shapeshifters are very, very, very popular. However, it all kind of depends on the creature that you shapeshift into. So werewolves are the most popular shapeshifter by a long shot. Some authors have done really well with dragon shapeshifters, and some authors have done really well. There was a, a period of time, about sort of two or three years, where bear shapeshifters and sort of big cats like tigers and things like that did, did quite well. Not, you know, not usually as well as wolves and things, but they did okay. And then, of course, there are big, famous authors who've got, like, 50 books out, and they might do a book with, like, a, a strange, a, you know, a weird uh, animal. And that book will do really well. And often readers will say things like, oh, you know, another wolf shapeshifter book. You know, it'd be really nice to see another animal. But what happens is when they see those books, they, they think, oh, well, oh, I don't really want to read that. I just want more shapeshifter books. They just kind of want the same experience that they've had again and again and again. And if you give them something that's a little bit too different, they go, oh, I'm a little bit scared of that. I'm a little bit afraid it's not going to be quite like the thing that I, I want out of this reading experience. So they go back to the, the same same. And so you get this idea, readers say, well, I want more, you know, where are the giraffe shapeshifters? And then you'll do a giraffe sh shapeshifter and it won't sell. Or the reviews will say, oh, it's a really great book, but the giraffe is a bit weird. Something like that. So you've got to be really careful about listening to what readers ask for and focus more on what they actually do. You know, if, you're, if you've written 10 books and your 8 most popular books are wolf shapeshifters and your 2 least popular books are giraffe shapeshifters, then probably don't do any more giraffe shapeshifters. Another really good example of this is with cliffhangers, and I get this all the time in my author life. So readers will say in reviews, oh, this book ends on a cliffhanger, I hate cliffhangers. Readers in the groups will ask, you know, I'd really like some books with no cliffhangers, please. I'm so sick of cliffhangers, I hate them so much, I don't want no cliffhangers whatsoever. And you, if you see this all the time, you may get this idea that readers hate cliffhangers. And part of the reason that that happens is because we tend to remember the negative stuff, but we don't remember the positive stuff. So we don't remember the 200 reviews that we got that say, absolutely love this book, you know, what a cliffhanger, can't wait for the next book. But we remember the five reviews that say, I'm never reading another book by this author again because they had a cliffhanger. So, you know, that's a thing that plays on our brains, is that we remember the negative stuff, but not the positive stuff. The other thing is that yes, is that readers may hate, but they may hate cliffhangers, but often you know it is the cliffhanger that makes them go to the next book because they have to find out what's happening, and so you might say you hate something, but actually what you mean is just give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me the next instalment, and so you've got to be really careful that you don't pay attention to what readers are saying. I hate cliffhangers, but you pay attention to what they're doing, which is that. For me, if I use cliffhangers, I sell more books. And because I am a career author, because I know what my, my personal metrics of success are, that is what I want. I want to sell more books. And so that is who I choose to be. So we've talked a little bit about author advice and reader comments and who you should listen to and who you maybe should not listen to. 
So I'm just going to give you a little bit of advice about what you should do if you want to collect advice from other authors and you, you want to kind of use their expertise to help build up your career. So the first thing is, I think, you know, if you spend a lot of time on larger forums, um, if I were you, I would compile a list of the authors, usually in your genre if possible, whose advice that you trust. And I just keep that little list nearby. And, you know, possibly if the forum's really big, I would just search out their comments on different things and, you know, use their comments as a jumping off place to kind of look at different things and consider different ideas. And that's like your cheat list, so that when you see a long string of comments, you can kind of search through for the authors that you that you like and that you trust, and you can say, well, what do they say about this? And you know, if you've got ten of those authors and eight of them are saying this is a great idea, then you know that gives you more of an idea than looking at the four hundred comments as a whole. Personally, I think that you'll probably get much better advice and much more specific advice and, you know, a much more in-depth conversation and consideration if instead of going to these larger forums and larger Facebook groups, if you build out your own private group of fellow authors. So I do this. I have this group of four amazing authors that I talk to pretty much every day and we are always offering advice and looking at each other's books and considering different things and talking about things that we've tried. I also have other author friends that I, I do a phone call with every week or every couple of weeks and we do the same thing. And those relationships are much more valuable to me than you know asking a question in a big forum. And that's because I get, you know, if I ask a question, I get a lot of advice from people who don't have the careers that I want and, you know, or who are talking about, you know, this thing that I did did really well for me, but the numbers that they're talking about are so low that I don't think it's, I don't think they're, you know, what they're doing is actually, you know, going to work for me on a larger scale. It's not scalable advice. I think it's also important to remember with you know with good advice or bad advice or advice that might work for you and might not work for you that any advice you receive has probably been tested on an audience of one. So that is the person who's giving the advice and that sometimes there's a success bias so you know I did this and it really worked so therefore it's going to work for everyone or a failure bias you know I did this and it didn't work so therefore it's not going to work for anyone. Uh, a lot of authors deal in absolutes, especially when they're talking on online forums. I try really hard to never do this. So I always say when I'm you know, in my books or in my course that, you know, for every single thing that I say, I try not to have rules because for every single rule there are exceptions. There are people who've done amazingly well completely ignoring this thing. And... But I just, but I choose to believe that I'm not going to be the exception. So I try to do, you know, I try to stick, try to stick to my road. You know, I try to stick to my lane. And just last of all, remembering that, yes, that, last of all, remembering that when people say something does well, that that doing well is based on their standard, which might not be your standard. So go and have a look at their books and have a look and see if you can find out uh, where their standard lies uh, against your standard and if that's someone that you want to listen to.
I think that's all I have to say today about author advice and who should be giving it and who you should be listening to, i.e. obviously. Now, just a quick note that if you are attending Con Zealand, the World Con this week, which was supposed to be hosted in New Zealand, but obviously because of coronavirus is now a virtual event, that I am going to be giving a self-publishing workshop for two hours on Thursday from 10 till 12 New Zealand time. I'm also going to be on a panel about tropes and themes in science fiction, fantasy, speculative fiction books uh, at 8pm on Tuesday. Those times are in New Zealand. I don't know what times they are in the rest of the world because I am not an expert and time zones kind of freak me out. But you can go to a you know, go to a time zone converter and figure it out. They've got a really you know the the Con Zealand is really well set up, so you can figure out what the time zones are. I've said that they can record my workshop, and so you can play it back, and so you'll be able to watch it within your own time zone. So if you are going to be at Con Zealand, I'm going to be there, I'm going to be doing a workshop. It's going to be awesome. I highly recommend you come along, check it out. It's going to, the whole event is going to be amazing. I'm so excited about it. So yeah, that's where I'm going to be. That's all for me from this week. And don't forget, if you want a whole bunch of free awesome stuff about writing, just pop on over to www.rageagainstthemanuscript.com and check out everything that I've got for you there. I'm Steph, and this has been the Rage Against the Manuscript podcast. Happy writing!